0: We return this evening to Psalm 125,
1: Song of Degrees. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot
0: be removed but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity
1: but peace shall be upon Israel. We've seen how Psalm
0: 125 is about the believer's security in Christ. And in verse 1 and 2, we are as secure as mountains, or better to say, we are even more secure than mountains. But those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Mount Zion that is described in the Psalter as beautiful, the joy of all the land, and also immovable. And it's an illustration here that is taken and applied to the Christian and to the church of God. In verse 2, the mountains surround Jerusalem as a protective network of hills, and so the Lord, as an impregnable fortress encompasses and envelops his people for their safety in this world. But these glorious statements, these promises, they are not a promise of protection from all discomfort or affliction. They don't mean that we are spared trouble or persecution in the world. And so last time we were looking at verse three that reminds us That the rod of the wicked will not rest upon the lot of the righteous. However, the rod of the wicked will certainly come upon the lot of the righteous. But we considered how that that rod is ultimately under the control and in the hand of a God who loves his people. And he sets limits upon their power to persecute and he measures our afflictions so that the saints Uh, do not stretch forth their hands unto sin. And so with the persecution or the affliction, the Lord is generous so as to guarantee us strength to bear under that rod, or he may in his kindness provide to us a way of escape. And thus the security or the promise of security in trial. This is another reason why, or a demonstration of how the saints of God are secure as mountains. Well, we move on this evening to verse four and five. And here we have a prayer, first of all, of the psalmist, and on the back of that prayer, another two further declarations that pertain to our safety in the Lord. And so looking at verse four and five this evening, we want to consider peace upon those who persevere. Peace upon those who persevere. Note in the first place, goodness to the good. Verse four, do good, O Lord, unto those that be good. Now, I said a moment ago, this is a prayer. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good. But it's also a prayer in response to what we've already considered in verse 1 through 3, and particularly what we considered in verse 3, where the saint is under trial, the rod of the wicked coming upon the lot of the righteous.
1: And in response to that, the psalmist cries, Do good, O Lord, unto those who be good. The
0: description obviously refers to the saint of God. In verse 1, we are described as those that trust in the Lord. In verse 3, we are described as righteous, for the rod of the wicked shall not come upon the lot of the righteous. We are righteous in our standing before God by faith in Jesus Christ, and we are righteous in the course of our lives. In verse 4 again, we are good, and then at the end of the verse, we are upright in our hearts. And that word upright means sincere or straight. Those who have sincerity of heart before the Lord, those who are determined to follow a straight course of obedience to Christ in this world. Well, we speak of good men in a civil sense uh, of men in the world. You, You may describe someone as a good leader. You might refer to another as a good teacher. You might rightly describe someone as a kind person. But then when we come to scripture, we are told that there is none who is ultimately or absolutely good but God. You turn to Mark chapter 10, you'll see this in the encounter Jesus has with a young man. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 19 and when he was gone forth into the way there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him good master what shall i do that i may inherit eternal life so he uses the word good good teacher good master what should i do to inherit eternal life and jesus said unto him why callest
1: thou me good there is none good but one that is God. There is none good but one, that is God.
0: And then you could link that to Paul's description of all mankind and the state of sin in Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. In that absolute sense, we have to confess that none of us are good. We cannot claim this title to goodness. It belongs to God alone, who is perfect in his goodness. But yet there are good men in scripture, not just civilly good men, but spiritually good men. And we're not good by nature, but what we do learn here, as in the rest of scripture, Is that we are made good by God in grace. And we must recognize that as Christians. In fact, we don't honor the Lord by a false humility, a skewed deference to, to this teaching of God's absolute goodness. We don't honor the Lord if we don't accept what he describes his people to be. We are made good by God in grace. Because he sends forth his spirit into our hearts and he changes our nature and he draws us, verse one, to trust in the Lord. And then from that position of conversion to him and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a new concern to follow him and to honor him in the whole of our life
1: so that the fruit of the righteous is that they become zealous of good works. Do you have any good works here this evening? You better have if you're a Christian. So here are these spiritually good created again in
0: Christ Jesus. They are sincere in heart. They are righteous in their life. They are straight in their course. So when times of persecution comes, And the rod of the wicked rests for a time upon the lot of the righteous. The righteous continue to sail on in a good course through that storm of persecution. Because the compass of their life is pointing in a particular direction. And it will always point there. Even though we might get blown off course a little, it will always keep coming back to the direction that the Lord has inclined it towards. And that is that we walk in paths of righteousness, even for his own
1: namesake. You see, the Lord's honor is tied up in the lives of his people.
0: Will he do the work that he said he would do? Would he raise us from the dead? Would he incline us unto himself? Will he give us the fruit of the spirit that we love him?
1: And walk in his commandments. So the good here refers to the saints of God. And
0: then the saints of God who are good, they come to the Lord and they pray that he would give grace to the good. And that's important as well. We recognize it to begin with that we're dead in sins and we cannot make ourselves good in the sense we cannot convert ourselves. But then we we need to constantly remember that in the Christian life. It's not that God flicks a switch at the beginning of our Christian life, and then he says, uh, well, on, on you go to live a life of obedience. That's a deistic view of the Christian life. The deists in the past, they believed God had to start the world He was needed to create the world, but like the watchmaker, he just wound it up and then hands off, left the world to get on with itself. We can think of the Christian life a little bit like that. A deistic conversion that God starts the work, then takes his hands off, and then we get on with the work in our own strength. Not so, brethren. As we depend upon God to convert us and make us good at the beginning, so we depend upon God to continue to enable us to walk in this way that is described as good.
1: We cannot convert ourselves. We cannot persevere in our own strength. So what do we do? We come with this prayer to the
0: good God for ourselves and for all of the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would give to us what he has promised.
1: That he would be good to us. That we might be enabled to be good unto him.
0: Three things here before we move on. First of all, this is a rule. A rule that we must have fixed in our hearts that of ourselves we have no goodness, we cannot
1: bring meritorious works unto the Lord. But God makes his people good, and then, brethren, he respects the goodness
0: of his people. It's one of those things that's very difficult for us to understand.
1: We're aware to a degree
0: of the imperfection of our works, and God is aware of it more. We're aware to a degree of the impurity of our sincerity before the Lord, and he is aware of it more, yet in his kindness and grace, he has respect to the sincere obedience of his people. That is a rule that we must always remember as Christians that he respects and indeed rewards that goodness so that we can come with prayers like this. Lord, I'm good. Be
2: good unto those that be good.
1: you pray like that? Turn to Psalm 18. You'll see God state the rule for himself. And of course, the psalmist
0: understood it. See a man who was able to say that he was... Shapen in iniquity and conceived in sin and corrupt and vile and he had nothing before God. It's the same psalmist who can articulate this rule of the reward of obedience. Psalm 18 verse 20 and following. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him and I kept myself from all mine iniquity. Therefore, hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. So here's what the modern evangelical does and many in the Reformed church. They push this all off upon the Lord Jesus Christ exactly the same way that the 17th century antinomians did. And your forefathers
1: contended with them because it was a violation of this rule. Absolutely, and ultimately, it refers to Christ. Just like Christ can say, there is none
0: that is good but God. But relatively speaking, this is a rule for those that Christ has raised from the dead.
1: Them that honor me will I honor. What's he saying? You walk in righteousness. You obey me. You honor me. You put me first. You strive after obedience. There's a consequence for that. A happy and gracious consequence. I will honor you. Do good to those that be good. But then there's a a reassurance here, a reassurance that God is always doing good
0: to his people. We're praying here for something that God has promised. What does he say to us about our trials? That all things work together for good. To those that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But the trial comes and we get lost in the confusion of the crucible of suffering.
1: And the psalmist draws us out of it. He says the rod of the wicked may come upon the lot of the
0: righteous. And when you are in that situation, you need to fix this rule in your mind and be reassured that the Lord has respect unto his people and he always does good and is doing good to us in the depths of our affliction.
1: Don't you see our text reminds us of the goodness of God? Didn't we see that God had to waken Asaph up from the the, the funk that he had descended into in the midst of his trials? And he comes out the other
0: side and he puts the question to us, is God good? Is he? You look at the evidence and you might say, no, is there a God? Can he see? Does God know? How can there be a God? And yet he says I was so foolish I didn't see things straight I didn't lay hold upon the promise of God God is good to Israel Even when the wicked seem to prosper and the wicked uh, and the, and the righteous are under the rod God continues to be good can only be good and is doing good to us even
1: in these painful experiences that come to us as his people
0: There's a rule that we need to understand. We're reassured of the goodness of God, but it is at the end of a day, a request. We're turning this principle
1: and this promise into a petition before the Lord. And what a petition it is. So briefly stated, do good, O Lord, to those that be good. Well, what does that mean? When you learn your catechism, children, and it asks you, what is God? You find the word goodness as an attribute of the Lord, don't you? But what don't you find? You ever stop to think about that? You drive around and you see
0: in many churches, many of them don't understand the statement, but they may have a banner outside and it says, God is love. And our catechism asks, what is God? And it doesn't tell us God is love. Love is nowhere in that answer to the catechism question. Nor is kindness or long-suffering or mercy or grace. You say, how can that be, pastor? That these things that are said of God time and again in the Bible are not actually included in our catechism answer, what is God? Oh, but children, They're all there.
1: And you know where they are? They're all wrapped up in that one word, goodness. God says to Moses,
0: I will pass by you and I will cause all of my goodness to pass by you and I will declare my name unto you. And what's the name? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. There's God preaching and unpacking that word goodness for us. And we come with this simple two-word petition in English: do good to me, O God.
1: That is, be kind, be long-suffering, be merciful, be gracious, pour out your love upon me. Give me more and more grace to make me more and more. Godly. And particularly
0: when the rod of the wicked comes down upon me, use the trial
1: to bring me to you, to to bring me to a deeper understanding of your goodness. That as they strike blow upon blow, you would minister grace upon grace. And as all of your bellows come over my soul, wave after wave. May they be consciously followed with wave after wave of the goodness and the kindness and the love and the grace of Almighty God. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good. Well, there's a cry for yourself. There's a cry for others that you see under the rod. Let the good God be good to us. Can't you see again how the saints of God are secure as mountains? If the good God is
0: ministering of his goodness to his afflicted saints.
1: Secondly, we have The condemnation of the crooked. The good, O Lord, unto those that
0: be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. There are two classes of people in Psalm 125: the righteous and the wicked. They have two differing ends, just like Psalm 1. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. And then in these verses, there are two descriptions of the wicked. They are those who turn aside after their crooked ways, and they are also the workers of iniquity. Now, Israel is the covenant people of God. And when you read words like this, you're to understand their first application to be that which is happening in the visible church of Christ. It's not in the first place that the Israelite is, is running off somewhere with a, with a Babylonian who lives miles away from them. Geographically, nationally, ecclesiastically, they're separate. in Separated in large measure from the other nations of the world. This is happening within the church. The righteous and the wicked
1: are coexisting in the church. And some are keeping covenant with God. And others are evidently not. The constant warning of scripture. That there are
0: hypocrites in the church. Lord Jesus majored in this perhaps more than anyone else. He tells us parables about 10 virgins and five are wise and five are foolish. He tells us about wheat and chaff growing together in the one field, the church, unto the end. He tells us of the parable of the sower and the sower goes forth to sow, the preacher goes forth to preach. And it's not those who are not hearing the word of God that he's describing. It's four different responses
1: to the word of God in the one church. Those who profess and know the Lord sincerely from the
0: heart, like the wise virgins. Those who profess,
1: but don't have the reality of grace in their life, like the foolish virgin. Those who are sincere. Those who are hypocrites. Well, don't you see it here in these verses? And he contrasts them. The good are those that trust in the Lord, verse 1. But the wicked here
0: must be those who do not trust in the Lord, but who trust in themselves. And then the good of verse 4 are the upright in heart, those who have sincere faith. But The wicked are those who have no
1: change of heart. Their heart is not right with God. And so they're given over to hypocrisy. They turn, we're told, unto their crooked ways. Now think about what
0: we've been saying. There's the righteous man. He's good. He's seeking to follow the Lord. And even when persecution or affliction comes upon him, the righteous holds a straight course in trial. The Lord is upholding him, making a way of escape so that he doesn't stretch forth his
1: hand unto iniquity. But that's precisely what this other class of people are doing. The righteous is holding the line, fighting for his spiritual life, and the wicked in the church is being, is turning aside unto his crooked ways. Reason, of course, is they have no grace and therefore they have no grace to persevere.
0: They turn aside unto sin or when trouble and affliction comes, they stretch forth their hands to sin to manifest what is in their hearts.
1: They're given over to lawful compromise. They give up the Lord so easily. The end of the world, we're told that the Lord will come himself, put in his sickle and separate ultimately
0: the wheat from the chaff. But we're reminded here in our verses
1: that he's doing a sifting and a separation also in time. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 16 and
0: 17, where Jesus is teaching us that parable of the sower. And he describes the experience of the stony ground hearer. Mark chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We, We would delight to see that. On the Lord's day, we preach the word. Someone comes in unconverted. Immediately, he seems to receive the word of the Lord, and
1: he's rejoicing in, in the preached Christ. We would be saying, hallelujah. But we need to read on. They have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time
0: afterward when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake
1: Immediately they are offended. What seemed to be so promising was in reality false. They turn aside after their crooked ways. Is that you this evening? You come to church, you have an attachment to the church, you have an affinity of sorts with the Bible, your heart is twisted and the course of your life ultimately is to turn aside after your crooked ways well that's a solemn thing but it is even more solemn as for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways listen the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. Think of Psalm 23. He leadeth me in the paths
0: of righteousness, even for his own namesake. He leadeth me. That's the good shepherd, isn't it? You see what the good shepherd is doing here? He is leading. He is actively leading forth. This people, with those who are workers, of iniquity. You say,
1: what a thing. What a thing that God would do. But doesn't it agree with Romans chapter 1 that
0: when we do not want to retain God in our knowledge, what does he do? He leads us forth
1: with the workers of iniquity. He gives us our sins in judgment for our desire for our sins. He gives men over. He gives men up to a reprobate mind. These hypocrites
0: are exposed by affliction and persecution. Instead of heaping to the path, they turn aside. They manifest what was in them to begin with. And God continues to lead them forth with the declared workers of iniquity,
1: like prisoners together, walking toward their everlasting execution. So that they fall into the same punishment as all the hypocrites in the
0: church and indeed into a worse punishment than all the workers of iniquity outside the church because they had more light and they
1: rejected it all and turned away from it hardening their hearts against the good God. Hear a call of to constancy here. The saints of God are secure as mountains, but not everyone who says that he is a saint of God. Those that put their trust in the Lord. Those that are upright in heart before the Lord. Those who are described as good before the Lord. But to those of you who aren't that in the church, you need to be warned that you are not
0: to abuse the kindness of the Lord or to presume upon His grace. And then tell yourself that somehow these promises pertain to you, that you
1: are as secure as mountains. My friends, you are as insecure as the house that was built upon the sand. This is a call to constancy because those that turn aside
0: after their crooked ways will be condemned, but the proof of God's people
1: is that they will hold fast and they don't turn aside after their crooked ways. But as you hear this call to Constance say, I would also wish you a reminder of mercy. That it is true you must not presume upon the grace of God. But it's equally true that Christians fall into sin. You can think of Peter. And he turned aside from the Lord when the rod of the wicked was coming upon the lot of the righteous. But we have to distinguish, don't we? Peter was not Judas. For a moment, they may have looked very similar. But Peter was not Judas. He put forth his hand to sin when
0: the rod of the wicked came down upon the lot of the righteous. But he was Christ's,
1: and the good God pursued him in his goodness and restored him. In his love. That plea is heard in your soul today. It's the very thing that will lead you into the paths of righteousness
0: for his name's sake. But what you must never do is go to the example of Peter and say, well, the Bible gives us many examples of those who did turn aside after their crooked ways and the Lord was kind and gracious to them. And you take this pattern and you premeditate and you calculate that you'll go on in sin and you will find the same mercy. If you think like that,
1: it is to presume upon the grace of God and it is but a feature off your turning aside unto your crooked ways. It's to twist the scriptures and to abuse the grace of God. So in verse 4, you are encouraged by God's goodness to constancy. God is good unto his people. But in verse 5, we have to behold the severity of the Lord. And
0: we are pressed by the goodness and the severity of the Lord, that we ought not to be slack and be very careful where the feet of our
1: soul will take us. Because there's goodness to the good, but there's condemnation to the crooked. But then thirdly, there's peace to the persevering. As for such as turn aside unto their
0: crooked ways, The Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity,
1: but peace shall be upon Israel. Psalm ends in verse 5 with the same
0: assurance of security to the saints of God.
1: That we live under the blessing and indeed the benediction of our Father in heaven. Peace. Upon Israel. You note the words in italics,
0: that's telling you they're there to give the sense. But it's a terse statement
1: peace upon Israel. My friends, as the saints of God, we will have everlasting peace in the future. And the
0: wicked will have no peace. They don't enjoy it here, no matter what they think they do, and they will not experience it then there is no peace for the wicked
1: saith my god but it's not just future peace that the saints have to hope in it's also present peace it's a peace for you now
0: it's a peace for you always and it's an everlasting peace So remember the context of the psalm. The pilgrim is going up to Jerusalem and he's singing these words in the midst of changes. Sometimes his lot is difficult. On occasions, the rod of the wicked is resting upon them as they make their journey to the city of God. And God in his kindness bookends this psalm to show us what our everlasting portion is.
1: Those who trust in the Lord are secure. Those who believe and follow the Lord have a peace that has been guaranteed to them by Christ.
0: Consider this statement in two ways. First of all, it is a prophetic promise.
1: Peace shall be upon Israel. You turn to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26.
0: And I want to show you how this promise affects our thoughts, and how it also reveals God's thoughts. How does the promise affect our thoughts? Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. And the exhortation, trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Don't you see
1: how these two things come together, trusting and peace? Who shall have peace? The one whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. Our text this evening is one of the means to get our minds there. This, we might
0: say, is the very truth that we are called to trust in. That the good God promises peace unto his people. And so what do we do in the midst of our trials? We're not naive. We don't pretend that things aren't going on around about us. And and maybe we have some things that we can do to get out of that trouble. We've responsibility to take, but we don't place all of our thoughts on those things
1: Where are our thoughts? They're firmly fixed on the God of all peace and of all comfort. We stay our minds upon him. The rod of the wicked would try to
0: rest upon the lot of the righteous. Where are the thoughts of the righteous? The thoughts of the righteous are
1: resting upon the God of peace. Even in extremes. Even in experiences, and we try to work them out. And we sit down and turn our thoughts over in our minds,
0: and we can't understand why these things are happening. We can't even understand all the mechanics of how they're happening. We we can make no sense whatsoever of our lot.
1: We fix our minds upon God. That's what Job did. He doesn't sit down in the midst of his afflictions and say, Oh, I've finally worked it out. I know the way that I take. I've got it. He never says that. He says, he knows the way that I take. I haven't a clue what's going on. He knows the way that I take. That's enough. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We take this prophetic promise and we fix our mind upon it. No, we fix our mind upon the God who gives the promise. The God is in all of our thoughts. But then we discover that we are in all of God's thoughts. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11.
0: We read in Isaiah, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee.
1: Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I have. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Do you see that? Our mind is stayed upon the God who knows what his thoughts are to us. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Don't think God is evil to you. He's good. His thoughts are thoughts of peace, even though war is rising up against you. They give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon
0: me, and ye shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all of your
1: heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. There's a promise for you, Christian. In the midst of your afflictions and trials and persecutions, fix your thoughts upon the God who knows his thoughts toward you. But then it's a priestly pronouncement. It's a prophetic promise and it's a priestly pronouncement. It's a benediction at the end of the psalm. Peace be upon Israel. Shalom health, salvation. Our Lord Jesus Christ expands upon that as he
0: pronounces his benediction upon his disciples before he returns to the Father. John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is going to die, and this is heart of his last will and testament to the church. You think about the day of your death, you start to think, how will I divide up my inheritance? What will I give to my children? What will I bequeath to them as an inheritance or as a legacy? And the Lord Jesus in the upper room says, here is my
1: legacy to you. Here is what I'm bequeathing to you, my people. Peace. Peace. We don't get it via unbelief for trying to work everything out on our
0: own. We get it by trusting in the Lord. That's the man who will be like
1: Mount Zion. That's the one who will know this peace. And it's certainly not established by
0: sin or by compromising the way of righteousness. Now God measures our trials so we don't stretch out our hands to commit sin. It's those who are not Christ's who turn aside after their crooked ways, but not the Christian. He comes
1: under his lot. His thoughts are upon God. And he's drawing peace into his soul. Christ's legacy of peace. Why do I say a priestly pronouncement?
0: Because in the Old Testament, the, old, the, the priest had three functions. The first was he would offer sacrifices for himself
1: and for the people. The second was he would intercede for the people. And the third was he would
0: pronounce blessing upon the people on the behalf of the Lord. And so we have that kind of priestly benediction at the end of the psalm, peace be upon Israel. You get it again in Psalm 134, the people exhort the priests, bless, behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And then the priest, in a sense, responds. And he says, the Lord that made heaven
1: and earth bless thee out of Zion. We need to go from there to Christ, the great high priest. And he does the same three things
0: for his people. By his sacrifice and death, he has purchased your redemption. And brethren, he has purchased your peace. And he's going to give it to his people. And secondly, as your high priest, he ascends into heaven. And he ever lives to make intercession for you so that you might enjoy that peace. He's like Moses, who goes up the mount as Israel are battling Amalek. There we are, the Christian, the church in the world, at war, redeemed out of Israel, attacked by the enemy, and there's Moses with his hands raised to
1: God, praying for the church down below who are engaged in the fight. And then as Aaron, the great high priest, he lifts up his hands and he said, the Lord says, the Lord bless
0: you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Israelite would go to the tabernacle and Aaron would pronounce the blessing. and The sons of Aaron would
1: pronounce the blessing day after day, week after week, year after year. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And you come into this church week after week and a minister stands
0: before you and at the end of every service, he lifts up his hands and he says, the grace of the
1: Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all but he does not speak of himself. It's not my blessing, brethren. And oh, if we had eyes to
0: see it, it's the blessing of our redeemer who perpetually has his hands raised
1: in heaven, pronouncing the benediction of peace upon his people. Peace in our prosperity, peace in our trials, peace in our persecution. And while our priest is in heaven to bless us, no man can curse us. Let, let them lift their rod and
0: bring it down upon our heads for a time. The hands of blessing of our Redeemer are over his people.
1: Let them hate, let them despise, let them seek our destruction and let them curse. He will bless. I'll allow a false prophet to preach from our pulpit this evening. His name is Balaam. And he said, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I
2: cannot reverse it.
1: Peace shall be upon Israel. The saints of God, brethren, they are secure as mountains. They are encompassed about
0: by the angel of the Lord. When the rod of the wicked comes upon their lot, their hand is in the hand of their gracious Redeemer. And they cry out of their afflictions, Lord, be good. Look upon me as I'm struggling for holiness. Look upon me in my weakness as I fight to keep your way. Minister grace and mercy and kindness. Grace upon grace unto me
1: in all of my needs. And at the end, he brings us to a promise and the pronouncement of our blessed Savior. My peace I leave with you. My
0: peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you, Therefore, let not your hearts be
2: troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's stand for prayer.
1: O Lord God of peace, help us to stay our minds upon thee, to trust in thee. Help us to believe and see that you know your thoughts that are toward us. Thoughts of peace. Problem with us is we don't know those thoughts well enough. Because of that, our thoughts go everywhere. We thank you for the triumph of Jesus and for the inheritance of peace that he has left to the church. A peace that may be disturbed but can never be destroyed. We thank you that he has
0: ascended the holy hill and he prays as we fight and he blesses us in the midst of all of the rage and all of the cursings
1: of our enemy and in that he hath blessed. No man can reverse it. God, breathe peace and comfort into our hearts this evening and cause your people to know their security as a living reality and not just a statement of truth. Do good unto those
0: that be good, O Lord, and to those who are upright within their hearts.
1: We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing Psalm 125 to the tune Eric
0: They and the Lord that firmly trust shall be like Zion Hill.
1: The whole psalm to the tune Eric Stain.
2: No. no. one uh, one Here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. No, no.
1: please stand for the Lord's blessing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all Amen